invite the ushers to come forward and assist us in the giving of our tithes and offerings.
our God who defends the weak and cares for us in all of life, especially in our times of need, invites us to come and to pray. So this morning as we pray together, the altar rail is open if you'd like to use this place to offer your prayers. Father, we come to this moment of prayer because we realize that life sometimes can be hard and demanding and stressful. But we also come because we know you alone are the answer to all the struggles of life. We come to this moment of prayer because we believe you're good and merciful and because we believe and know that you are the almighty sovereign God. We come to this moment of prayer to declare that we trust you and that we know you hear us whenever we pray. We come today with all kinds of struggles. Some are relatively easy to admit, some not so much. Some are about our failings and sins and Some are about the difficulties that we encounter from living in a fallen world. Some of us come today struggling with fear or lust or anxiety, greed, grasping for power, self-centeredness, gossip, anger. We pray about unrealized expectations, grades for our spouse, our child, parent, a girlfriend or boyfriend, a job, the next steps in life. We pray about spiritual stagnancy, pride, bitterness, gluttony, apathy about life and the world, laziness, loneliness, Lord, we bring it all to you because we believe you care and because you answer. Father, we pray for some specific needs today. Pray for Laurel Martell and her family at the death of her mother this week. Comfort them in their grief and we pray for all who are grieving today. Pour out your spirit of peace on each of them. We pray for all who are struggling with health issues. Beulah Avery, Jill Tyson, Priscilla Waltz, Vesta Mullen, Tim Nichols, Bruce Brenneman, Bill Roski, Bev Rett, Micah Christensen, Linda Roth, Isla Shea, Edna Howard, Crystal Blake, Emily Cricklar, and others who may be on our minds today. Father, we pray for the needs that are beyond us. We pray for the crisis compass care, crisis pregnancy center in Rochester, for the Hepzibah home in Georgia. These, both these institutions minister your grace to families and individuals who are in crisis. 
We pray for the world outside of our nation. We think of those who have been affected by the flooding in Mozambique and the Ebola crisis in Africa. We pray for healing. We pray for the help that is needed and for an end to the crisis. We pray for our brothers and sisters throughout the world. We think of the Christians in Egypt who are trying to deal with the murder of 21 Christians this week. Comfort them in their grief. Give them such grace that they can forgive as Christ forgives. We pray for Pastor Michael and Pastor Yen in South Sudan who've been arrested and are being detained. Protect them. We pray that uh, they would be released soon. And we pray that as their captors watch them and interact with them, they would see you in their lives. And Father, as we think about our brothers and sisters and all that they face, encourage us. Strengthen our resolve to live like Christ. Father, we thank you for hearing our prayers. Thank you for your grace poured out upon us and your world. We offer these prayers and all of our prayers through the name of Christ Jesus, our Savior, our returning King. Amen. Our scripture reading today comes from Mark chapter 14, verses 32 through 42. They went to a place called Gethsemane, and Jesus said to his disciples, Sit here and sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. Going a little farther, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the, prayer, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, not what I will, but what you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Simon, he said to Peter, are you asleep? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning a third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough! The hour has come. Look! The Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. This is the word of the Lord. A few things that I want to mention to you that are in the bulletin this morning. Uh, You see a couple of inserts. One's our faith promise card.
we are encouraging you to think about how God might want to stretch your faith to give to uh, the, the various missions, uh, outreaches that we're connected to with this faith promise. We give a lot more money in our budget, but we also do this as a way of extending our faith. So uh, if you have your card ready, you can just tear off the end of it, drop it in. Uh, well, I guess we've already taken the offering, but you can drop it off in the back when you leave this morning or hand it to one of the pastors. We'll make sure it gets to the right place. And uh, we'll be collecting these over the next few weeks. So uh, be praying about how God might want to stretch your faith to give. There's also an insert about the women's retreat coming up this Saturday. And uh, love to have you participate in that. As I mentioned last week, we are uh, engaging uh, in a remodel of the office space over here, and so uh, you may have noticed already this morning, but the office area is blocked off, and so this door that you might typically walk through to get to the Christian Education Building is closed, and uh, so uh, that's often probably six to eight weeks or so, uh, so our offices are sort of around the church, uh, some downstairs, some upstairs over in Sanctuary 105, so uh, we're, I think it's, it'll be good. It'll be a great addition to the church when it's done. I also mentioned last week about the uh, Sundays in Lent, and, or Thursdays in Lent, and we're doing the prayer time, and this is an opportunity for us to come together and to pray from Thursday 6 a.m. to Friday 6 a.m. Uh, the prayer room will be open, we encourage you to sign up, come pray for an hour, you can sign up this morning, uh, online in the, or online, you can sign up in the foyer. Also, on those Thursdays at noon, 6 and 10 p.m., we're going to be gathering for corporate prayer, and we had a great time this week. In each of those, uh, those times, and we had communion together, and we spent some time praying together. And uh, some, some uh, sort of interactive kinds of things to remind us about uh, as we focus on the passion uh, hours of, uh, of Christ as he moves closer to the cross. As we continue worship, I want to give you a chance to uh, share a word of greeting and peace with others who are here. So stand and do that. So you're well aware of the fact that people like to make uh, jokes about different professions. Uh, I thought about trying to tell a few of those this morning, but I decided against it. But, you know, you, you've heard jokes of doctors, lawyers, accountants, uh, you know, farmers. You pick, take your pick. There's probably a joke about them, including ministers. One of the, uh, you know, one of the great jokes or ways that people like to, you know, dig a little bit and say it must be nice working one day a week. And um, the, you know, it's funny because people say that to me and, the, you know, they're joking, it's fine with me, I, you know, I laugh too. But it's always funny because you, they sort of say it in a way like you've never heard that one before. Uh, <laughs> I have heard it before. And, you know, I have a, uh, uh, had a professor who was telling us one time that, he has friends in all walks of life. He's uh, got connections with a lot of business people. He said they love to call him, you know, mid-morning of a weekday, you know, 10, 10.30 and say, oh, I hope I didn't wake you up. Um, 
Or, you know, he'll, he'll say to, he said, one guy called him one day and he said, you know, you guys got it made. You know, you wake up, it's a good day, you wake up in the morning, you uh, study a little bit, make a few calls, and, uh, you know, just kick back. If it's a bad day, all you got to do is roll over in bed, say a few prayers, and go back to sleep. He said, I, I said to this, the guy who said that to me, he said, I told him, there's two things that your comment tells me about you. One is that you know very little about the ministry. And the second is, you know even less about prayer. And I've been thinking a lot about that as we are engaging in this prayer, these prayer events, and as we're moving into the season of Lent. And thinking about my own skewed views of prayer. And I suspect, if we're honest, your skewed views of prayer. Prayer is one of those things that's hard to get our, our, our hands around it, our minds around it. You know, we, we try to explain it and it's difficult to pin down. Uh, we try to talk about it and we, we sort of talk around it sometimes. Because it's one of those things that's difficult to, to think about and to truly understand. And it's even more difficult to do. One of the things that we've tried to, to incorporate over the years that we've been doing the prayer vigils is to help us understand that prayer is a lot bigger than we typically think of it. And we need to do that because we all tend to have skewed views of prayer. And I suspect one of the ways in which our view of prayer is skewed is how much time we spend in prayer. And what we do when we pray. And when I think about Jesus and read through the Gospels, we find over and over again Jesus praying. Jesus getting away to pray. Jesus focusing on prayer. And one of those places is in the Garden of Gethsemane. As he is just hours away from his arrest and crucifixion. Jesus has met with his, on this night, he's met with his disciples in the upper room. They've shared the meal together. And when they're done... The gospel writers tell us that they, they make their way to the garden. And as they're walking to the garden, Jesus is talking to them about what's to come. And he warns them that they're all going to fall away. And they say, no way, never. And they get to the garden. And Jesus says to the eight of them, Judas has already left. He says, the eight of them, he says, you guys stay here. We're going to go pray. And he takes Peter, James, and John a little further in. And, they, and he says to them, now you guys stay here and pray. And I'm going to go over there and pray. And Mark tells us, well, all the gospel writers do, but Mark especially tells, it talks about this. That when Jesus kneels to pray, he is in agony. Actually, he says to Peter, James, and John, I've come to pray because my soul is so overwhelmed with sorrow and anguish to the point of death. Think for a moment of the most anguishing moment of your life. Fear, 
anxiety, stress, uncertainty. When you you think about that moment when you're not sure what's going to happen and you just are paralyzed, I think we're starting to get a little bit of a glimpse of what Jesus is feeling. Mark is so... I mean, he's not holding anything back. He's giving us this picture of Jesus and we see as the fullness of his humanity here. You would think being Jesus, he might sugarcoat it a little bit, but he doesn't. He's brutally honest. In fact, it's almost a little bit embarrassing to read about the deep, deep anguish Jesus is feeling. And yet here it is. There's some sense, you wonder about exactly why he's feeling this way. Maybe it's because of the physical pain that he's about to experience. I mean, he knows what the Romans do with people they consider enemies of the state, criminals. It's not going to be pleasant. A few years ago, if you saw the Passion of the Christ, you saw vividly portrayed the physical pain that Jesus endures. I suspect that's a part of it. But, but I think, I'm convinced that the, the deeper anguish is not physical, but it's emotional, spiritual. Here is Jesus in his 30s probably, and he's never sinned in his life. He has never known Shame or remorse or guilt. He's never woken up in the morning and and overwhelmed with because of what he did the night before. He's never had to go back and say, I'm sorry I lied to you. He's never been passive aggressive with someone who's mistreating him. He's never retaliated against someone who mistreated him. He doesn't know that kind of shame and guilt and remorse that you and I live with all the time. But he realizes that he comes to earth to bring the kingdom of God. And a part of bringing in the kingdom of God is taking upon himself the sins of the world. Your sins, my sins. And he knows somehow on the cross... He is going to feel all of the weight of our sins. He's going to feel guilt for the first time. He's going to feel shame and remorse. He's going to feel all of that, all of that that you and I live with and wish we could get rid of. It's going to weigh on him in a way he's he's never experienced it before. And because of that... He's going to question the Father's love for him, just like you and I do. You know that feeling when when you sin and you feel shame? One of the first things that we feel is, God won't love me anymore. I've, I've, I've blown it with God. It's done. It's over with. It's what Adam and Eve experienced in the garden when they first sinned. It's what you and I experience when we sin. It's what Jesus will experience when he sins. When he takes on himself the sins of the world. 
The Father doesn't reject him. The Father doesn't reject us. But it feels like it. We wonder. We question. And how Jesus is going to feel that. And the weight and the anguish of that is weighing him down. And when he prays, Father, may this cup pass from me, it makes me wonder if maybe the prayer isn't, I don't want to go through any of this. I don't want to be this way for the world to be free from their sins. But it's rather, isn't there another way for me to do this than to take upon myself all of their sin? And in the midst of that anguish and all that he is about to experience, what is his first recourse? It's to pray. You and I have a tendency in these situations to find, to to look for other ways that we can solve our own problems. And it's good for us to think about solving our own problems. But for us, prayer tends to be a last resort. For Jesus, it's a first recourse. I mean, think about how many times you've heard people say, maybe you've said it yourself, well, the only thing left to do now is to pray. You know, we've exhausted everything we can do. I guess we're going to have to turn to God. How many times have we said to people, what can I do to help you? Yeah, I'll pray. I'll pray for you, but what can I really do to help you? So we have in our minds that prayer is passive. With Jesus, prayer is active. It's not his last resort. It's his first recourse. As he's facing the agony of this, the first thing he does is to pray. And that's what he's done all of his life. You read through the Gospels over and over again. Jesus turns to prayer at the crisis moments of life and throughout all of his life. And now the most natural thing in the world in this crisis is to pray. And if that's what Jesus sees as his first recourse, it seems to me that ought to be ours as well. Haddon Robinson was my professor at Gordon-Conwell says that when, when you think about prayer, for us, prayer tends to be preparation for the battle to come. For Jesus, prayer is the battle. For you and for me, prayer is something we do to get ready to deal with the stuff of life. For Jesus, prayer is dealing with the stuff of life. But that's hard for us to see. It's hard for us to understand. He says, when I, if I had been there in the garden that night, I think I, I would have thought to myself, man, if Jesus is, is this anguished and this upset when he's praying, what's he going to be like when he faces the real crisis? We have it backwards. See, for Jesus, prayer is like, it's like running the marathon and ministry is like going to get the gold medal. For Jesus, prayer, prayer is like taking the exam, the final exam. And ministry is going to get your diploma. 
And I think we have a hard time seeing it that way. It's the battle. Things are won or lost in prayer. It's not preparation for the battle. It is the battle. When I was a child and a teenager, I remember many times at church, people would come to the altar rail and they would be praying about something in their life. Maybe a habit or a struggle. Maybe they were trying to forgive someone. And I remember so many times my dad and other people kneeling around, praying with them, and they'd get done praying, and the question they would ask is, is it settled? And they would say, they talk about this concept of praying through. And I'm not sure I understood it at the time, but I think what they really were saying is, this is where the battle takes place. And you stay in prayer until you've gotten victory, until you've really surrendered it. See, we tend to think of prayer as just something we do on the surface. We roll over in bed and say a few words. But for Jesus, prayer is continually digging down deeper and deeper and deeper. Getting to the very root. And in this case, getting to the root of saying, whatever you want, Father, that's what I'll do. It's settled. And for you and me, other things. Habits, struggles, whatever it is that we're wrestling with. We, we stay in prayer. We don't get up. We don't quit praying it until we are convinced we've surrendered it. That's winning the battle. That's recognizing that it's in prayer the battle is won or lost. And when we don't see it that way, it's no wonder we keep losing We get into the middle of it and we have no resources to overcome the struggle that's coming at us because our prayers haven't taken us deep. Mark says that Jesus leaves Peter, James, and John and he says, you wait here, I'm going to go a little further in and pray. And and he's speaking, you know, physically, he moves his body, but I think there's something figuratively, figurative about that, of going deeper going further, of sticking with prayer longer. Instead of just sort of rolling over and saying a few words. Dennis Kinlaw is one of my spiritual heroes. Great man of God. He's in his 90s now. But I devour everything he writes and I I'd spend a lot of money and drive a long distance any time to hear him speak. He's a great man of God. He tells about when he was a freshman in college. He said the one good thing in his life was that he had this desire to to know Christ. and And to obey Christ and to live for Christ. And that was the one thing that sort of was just driving him. And in the course of his freshman year, he became friends with a senior student who was a godly man. And uh, everyone who was around him saw that in him. Holiness, godliness. And one day, as they became better friends, they were talking. And, and Dennis Kinlaw said to him, you know, I, I want to know Christ more. I want, I want more of Christ in my life. How do I do that? 
And the senior said to, asked him a question. He said, how much time do you spend in prayer? And Dennis said, I, I'm sure I lied to him and exaggerated it. And his response to me was just two words. He said, double it. Double it. And that was the end of the conversation. Guy walked away and that was it. Kinlaw said, I, you know, I was working in a bakery, getting up early in the morning, going to work. I'm thinking, man, it's going to be hard. But he knew that this senior's practice was to get up early and to spend extra time in prayer. And so he decided that's what he would do. And he set his alarm clock for an hour earlier. And, and he, he said, you know, I don't, God only knows how many times I fell asleep on my knees when I was praying. But I don't regret that. Because what started out as a habit became a delight. He said, there are moments in my life, not very many, a few moments in my life that I look back on and say, those were significant moments for me. This was one of them. Being a part of that practice became a part of just my existence of being with Christ, spending time with Christ, giving that extra time and energy and effort to prayer changed his life. I wonder what would happen if collectively we all said, we're going to double whatever time we spend in prayer. If it's five minutes, we do 10. If it's 15 minutes, we do 30. If it's 30 minutes, we do an hour. If it's an hour, we do two. If this is one of the things that we're wanting to try to help us accomplish when we do these Lenten prayer times and all the prayer vigils, is to, to help us have some, some built-in time to pray more and to be a catalyst for that. To spend time in the prayer room and think, how in the world would I ever fill an hour? And yet, it gets filled. To come to the corporate prayer times and to engage ourselves with others as we take communion together and as we pray together and we're stretched and deepened together. This is why we're doing this. That's why we're offering these varied times of the day because hopefully one of them is a time when we would be free to say, I can do that. You know, during the season of Lent, a lot of people give up things for Lent. Some people give up kinds of food. Some people give up parts of, sometimes, of entertainment. And, and giving up things can be a great discipline and it can be a great practice But I also think that it's a good thing to take on things for Lent. And what if as we were giving up something, if you do that, we decided to take on praying more? Here's the thing with Jesus. His relationship with the Father and living his life the way the Father desires him is of such importance That he prays 
whatever is important to us, we give our time and our energy to it. It's just a reality of life. In a moment or two, we're going to come and we're going to, we're going to take communion. We're going to come to this table. And this table is rooted in what Christ does on the cross. What Christ does on the cross is rooted in his prayer in the garden. Jesus is able to go to the cross because he wins the battle of prayer kneeling in the garden of Gethsemane. And whatever our struggle may be, I'm convinced we will win those battles when we commit ourselves to prayer like Jesus. Holy Father, we thank you for the gift of prayer. For your invitation to come into your presence, to to know you, to learn of you, to surrender ourselves to you. Father, you take us where we are. You don't expect us to be more than what you've created us to be. But your plans and your dreams for us are so much more than we typically realize. Help us to see the power of prayer as the means to being who you've created us to be. Father, as we come to this table, We thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ. How he sacrificed and suffered for our sins. We pray that you will send the power of your Holy Spirit on these gifts. That in the breaking of this bread and in the drinking of this cup, we may know the presence of the living Christ. That we may be one body in him, cleansed by his blood we may faithfully serve him in the world and look forward to his coming, his appearing in final victory. In his name we pray. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He gave thanks to the Father and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples saying, take, eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And on the same night he took the cup. Again, he gave thanks to the Father in heaven and gave it to his disciples saying, drink from this all of you. For this is my blood of the new covenant which is shed for your sins and the sins of all people. Every time you do this, do it in remembrance of me. Receiving communion this morning by the mode of intention just means to dip in. As your robe is released, come to the front, tear off a piece of bread, dip it into the cup, eat it. 
and then return to your seat by the outside aisle. Altar rail is always open if you want to stay and pray. If coming to the front is difficult for you, we have uh, trays of bread and cups. We're happy to serve you in your seat. And I also have gluten-free wafers here and cups. And just let me know when you come forward and I will serve those to you. I always like to mention that we practice open communion at the Westland Church. You don't have to be a member of this church. It might be the first time you've ever worshipped here. But if you come today with your heart open to Christ, with the desire in your heart to surrender to Him and to know Him and to be known by Him, then come. Receive these gifts from our gracious, loving, Heavenly Father. the 
the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you now and forevermore. Amen. Thank you.